This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul said this as he went to the city of Corinth. I determined not to know anything among you, save or accept Christ and him crucified. And in Paul's day, that was an astounding statement because the cross or crucifixion was a symbol of torture and death. And no one even wanted to speak about crucifixion in polite conversation. And yet Paul writes elsewhere, But God forbid that I should glory, save, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians make much of the cross of Jesus. It's one of the themes of the Christian religion. But Christians do not worship the cross. Christians worship the one who died on the cross. Christians worship Jesus Christ. And Christians rejoice in what Jesus has done on the cross. And if the cross were only an implement of torture and death, we would not and we could not glory in the cross but the cross is so much more the cross is simply this the cross is our salvation i want to say a few things about the cross this evening why did jesus die upon the cross the first thing i want to say is this the cross was a planned death the cross was a planned death jesus came into this world with one goal And that was to die upon the cross. Many people imagine that Jesus didn't mean to die. It wasn't part of the plan that he should die, but rather that the death of Christ was a terrible tragedy, a life cut violently short. But that's not how the Bible explains the cross. Others who see Jesus as a mere prophet do not see the need for Jesus to die upon the cross. Others deny 
that Jesus died upon the cross. There are some whose theory is that Jesus only appeared to die. Someone was substituted for him at the last moment. He didn't really die, but the Jews thought he died because they say God would not permit one of his beloved prophets to suffer in such a horrible way. But the Bible is clear. Jesus died. He died by crucifixion. He expected to die. He was willing to die, and he rose again from the dead. And if he did not die upon the cross, as the Bible teaches, then there was no resurrection, and there is no forgiveness of sins, and there is no good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the Old Testament taught two basic truths about Jesus Christ. First, Jesus would be a mighty king from the line of David and would sit upon David's throne. He would bring blessedness and peace to God's people. And this is the aspect of the Messiah of the Old Testament teaching about Jesus that the Jews emphasized. They were expecting a mighty Savior to come and deliver them from the Romans and to restore the kingdom to Israel. And when Jesus turned out not to be that kind of a Messiah, the people rejected him. The second main theme of the teaching of the Old Testament is that the Messiah or the Christ would be God's suffering servant. He would deliver God's people from sin. And that aspect of Old Testament teaching, the Jews by and large ignored because they could not understand it. And even the closest disciples of Jesus, Peter, James, John, and all the rest, they could not understand his sufferings and death until after he rose from the dead. However, this ignorance was inexcusable because the whole of the Old Testament prophesies the suffering of the coming Savior. The very first prophecy in Genesis 3 verse 15 says this, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And then God gave the Old Testament Jews a worship system which centered upon blood sacrifice. An innocent creature, such as a lamb, was killed, and its blood was sprinkled on the altar. And this pointed to a great sacrifice which would be made when the Messiah would come. All of those Old Testament sacrifices were pointing to the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then there are many Old Testament prophecies about the sufferings and death of Jesus. Here are a couple of them in the Psalms. Psalm 22. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. 
I may tell all my bones. They look and stare at me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Here's Psalm 69. Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness, and I looked for some to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And of course, the clearest and most vivid of all the Old Testament prophecies concerning the sufferings of Jesus is Isaiah 53, which we read earlier. Here's verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And when Jesus came into this world, he was thinking in terms of Psalm 40. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Jesus knew what was written in the book concerning him. And he knew that that meant he must suffer and die exactly as the Old Testament prophesied. And this explains the behavior of Jesus throughout his life. Here's what he says to the disciples in Mark chapter 10. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. And when Peter rushed to Jesus' defense to prevent him from being arrested, Jesus rebuked him with these words in Matthew 26, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scripture be fulfilled, that thus it must be? And then later, after his resurrection, he says this in Luke 24, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And after Jesus' resurrection, the apostles explained his death in the same way. In a sermon, Peter says this to the Jews, in Acts 2.23, him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. The death of Jesus, therefore, was no accident. It was no afterthought. God in heaven planned it. Later, the apostles prayed this in Acts chapter 4, for of a truth. 
against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together. And notice what he says, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And then later, Peter writes this in Acts 3.18, But those things which God before showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Elsewhere, Peter writes, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And so the death of Jesus on the cross was a planned death. It was planned by God before the foundation of the world. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. It had to happen exactly as God said. The second point I make is the cross was a voluntary death. Since the cross was planned, and since Jesus came to accomplish God's will, the cross was a voluntary death. Jesus was not a victim of circumstances. Jesus was and is the Lord, and he was the Lord of his own circumstances. And in so doing, he fulfilled the Father's will. Here are his words in John 10. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And that too explains the behavior of Jesus Christ. Never does he try to avoid suffering and death. He embraces it as his calling from God. Here's Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things. And when he explained that to his disciples, they tried to convince him not to go to Jerusalem. And Peter even rebukes him and says, This shall not be unto thee. Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And how does Jesus react to Peter's intervention? But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offence unto me, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And later, in Luke 9.51, we read this, And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He did that even though he knew what would happen to him in Jerusalem. But he determined to go there and die 
exactly as the scriptures had prophesied and exactly in the manner that the scriptures had prophesied, namely on a Roman cross. And again, we see this at his trial and arrest. On the night of his arrest, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Why? Because he knew that Judas Iscariot, his betrayer, would come there and look for him because that was a place that he and his disciples would often go to. He could have fled. He could have gone elsewhere. He could have escaped, but he chose to wait. He made no effort whatsoever to avoid the suffering. And when the men came to arrest him, Jesus gave them a display of his power. He said, I am he. And they fell down backwards, showing that they had no power to arrest him unless he gave himself into their hands. And then when they got up again, he willingly gave himself to them to be arrested. And when Peter tried to stop it, he says this in John 18, 11, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? At his trial also, he is submissive. He does not speak in his own defense. He does not protest his innocence. He does nothing you might expect someone would do to try to get out of the predicament he is in. Isaiah 53 verse 7 prophesies as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. The same thing is true of his trial before Pilate, the Roman governor, who had the power to put him to death and who condemned Jesus to die on the cross, humbly and quietly, Jesus stands before Pilate and the mob. He allows them to dress him in a purple robe. He allows them to place a crown of thorns upon his head. He permits them to beat him and to spit upon him, and he lifts not even a finger in his own self-defense, although he could have. He could have called down angels to destroy his persecutors, but he didn't. And then when they bring him to the cross and they nail him there, they mock him and revile him and tempt him to come down from the cross, and Jesus stays on the cross. He dies patiently, without cursing God, without cursing man. And Peter says of him, in 1 Peter 2.23, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And the last words of Jesus from the cross were these, Father, into thy hands... I command my spirit. Luke 23:46. In every way, Jesus' death was a voluntary death. 
It was a voluntary death because he loved his people whom he had come to save. It was a voluntary death because he loved his father whom he came to serve. Never did Jesus think about himself, his own welfare, his own comfort, his own convenience, his own safety. Always he thought about his people. Hebrews 12 verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So it's a planned death, prophesied in the Old Testament, planned by God before the foundation of the world. It's a voluntary death. No man took his life from him. He willingly laid it down of himself. Third, it was a necessary death. It was a necessary death. No accident, voluntary and necessary. Jesus had to die. He had to die. He had to die because God had determined to save sinners. And the question which comes to us this evening is this, could God save sinners in any other way than by the suffering and death of his own son? And if he could, then it makes everything that Jesus suffered and Jesus' death unnecessary and pointless. Jesus himself was confronted with this question. In Gethsemane, Jesus prayed three times to the Father. In the words of Matthew 26, 39, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thy wilt. And the question in Jesus' mind, the question with which he struggled was this. Is it possible to avoid the sufferings of the cross and still save sinners? And given that Jesus' will was, like the Father's, to save his people, was that possible in some other way? That was the question on Jesus' mind. That's what he asked. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thy wilt. And the answer that Jesus received from his Father was silence. God said nothing, which Jesus understood to mean, No, my son, there is no other way. There is no other way. It has to be this way. You must drink the cup that I am giving to you. And having received that answer, Jesus deliberately submits himself to the Father's will and goes to the cross because there is no other way. And why is there no other way? 
Well, there are several reasons. First of all, the explanation lies in the fact that we are sinners. Human beings, you and I this evening, are sinners. And that means that we have broken God's commandments. All of them. And therefore we are guilty before him. It also means that we have a corrupt nature. We are unable to do anything good or pleasing to God. And all the good works of which human beings boast in this world are unacceptable to God. They are not good. They are filthy, polluted, damnable deeds, words, and thoughts. Here's God's verdict. Romans 3.12 There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Romans 8, verse 8. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If that's what we are as sinners, then we cannot save ourselves by our own performance. We can't even produce one good work which God would accept. Second, we have the nature of God. God is a righteous judge. If you come before a righteous judge as a criminal, as a lawbreaker, what do you expect? You expect to be punished. A righteous judge demands one thing, only one thing, conformity to the law. That's the only thing he's interested in, a righteous judge. Has this person before me kept the law? And the answer for all of us is no, we haven't. We haven't kept the law. And if you cannot give the answer, I have kept the law perfectly, there's only one possible response from our righteous judge, and that is to inflict punishment. A sentence of some kind. And the penalty for sin is death. So if you have a righteous judge, God the righteous judge, and you have a sinner standing before this righteous judge, the righteous judge God must inflict the penalty of death. But God is not only righteous. He's also merciful. And as the merciful God, he pities his people who are sinners, who cannot save themselves, and he desires their salvation. But a righteous judge cannot simply pity people and then let them off without any punishment. And God, who is righteous, cannot simply forgive if his justice is not satisfied. Otherwise, God would not be righteous. And if God were not righteous, he would not be God. So you have a righteous judge, you have a guilty sinner, and you have a demanded penalty, death. How then is a righteous judge who is also merciful going to forgive this guilty sinner who requires the penalty of death? And the answer is 
if there's someone else who will take upon himself the penalty of death. If there's someone who will pay the penalty for the sinner. Is God willing to accept a substitute? That's the question. I can't pay. Is God willing to accept a substitute? And the Bible says he is. And that's revealed to us in the Old Testament already. God was always willing in the Old Testament to accept a substitute. The Old Testament worshiper could come to the temple with a lamb and say to God, I'm not worthy of salvation. I'm not worthy of thy blessing. Please accept this substitute in my place. And you kill the lamb and you sprinkle its blood. Now that, of course, was not actual salvation. No one was actually saved in the Old Testament by the blood sacrifices of lambs and goats. But that was a picture of the fact that God is willing to accept a substitute and he will in his own time provide such a substitute. Thus, when Jesus came into the world, John the Baptist points to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. This Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the lambs spoke of in the Old Testament. And that explains the cross. Since all of God's people are guilty, Jesus takes that guilt upon himself. And when he died, therefore, he did not die for any fault or sin of his own, because he had no fault or sin of his own. Instead, he died for the sins of his people whom he represented. Here's 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Here's 1 Peter 3, verse 18. Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And Jesus' own words in Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. There was no other way. The penalty for sin, which is death, must be paid. And Jesus paid it. That's the message of the cross. Only Jesus could pay it. He is the only possible substitute because only he is qualified to be the substitute. What are the qualifications necessary to be a substitute? Three. Briefly, three. First of all, the substitute must be a man. A real man, a real human being, with a human body and a human soul, because God cannot punish an angel or an animal in the place of the sinful human being. Human sin must be punished in the human nature. And Jesus, as the incarnate Son of God, qualifies. Second, he must be a sinless, righteous man. 
He must be free from all sin, both original and actual sin. He must have kept the law of God perfectly. And again, only Jesus qualifies because he alone is a sinless man. And third and finally, he must be God. The one who dies on the cross must be a real man. He must be a perfect, sinless man, and he must be God. And we've heard in other lectures how Jesus is the Son of God, the eternal, only begotten, incarnate Son of God. He must be God because he must have almighty power to withstand the awful burden of the wrath of God. A mere man, even a mere sinless man, if we had such a thing, would be crushed under the wrath of God and would not be able to bear the burden of the sins of all of his people and to bear the wrath of God against those sins so as to deliver us from that wrath. So it can only be Jesus. He alone qualifies. Romans 8 verse 3 says this, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. A planned death, a voluntary death, a necessary death, and finally, and very briefly, an efficacious death. An efficacious death, that is to say, the death of Christ accomplished exactly what God determined. God determined that Jesus should die on the cross to make satisfaction for the sins of all of God's people. That's exactly what he accomplished. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Or rather, that's Galatians 3.13. Ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And so the payment which Christ made by his death on the cross is more than sufficient to satisfy God's justice against all of our since. And since Jesus Christ has accomplished salvation by his death, all those who believe on him receive that salvation which he has accomplished. They are delivered from sin, misery, death, and hell. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son on the cross that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Believe, and you too shall be saved by this Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. 
and you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hope rwc at gmail.com. Thank you.